0: I saw a quote this week that uh, Bill Murray said something to the effect that it's hard to win an argument with an intelligent person and nearly impossible with a stupid one. It just really... Somebody with uh, ADD issues and sarcasm issues really appreciates something like that. <laughs> and, and so the idea of getting... Uh, but Dale is saying, the idea of getting into an argument on Facebook uh, just, uh, it's a train wreck to both of those, you can't be that intelligent, to, uh, if you do it, I'm sorry, I didn't just mean to call you that, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't put stuff on Facebook because I have a hard enough time getting along one-on-one, like me and Rusty having a disagreement, what was that, almost 20 years ago, Rusty, so putting something out there to get somebody irritated on Facebook with me, just, it's just a slam dunk way of, uh, getting rid of the few friends that I do have. (laughs) Daniel drew. um, Well, know that I'm going to offend somebody here. I try not to, but I can't help myself. So when I say things that just flow, and if you're offended, I love you. I just can't help the words that flow from my mouth. So Daniel drew had a distaste for another person to the point that he set the groundwork for the events of the last week or so that have taken the media away from obsessing with covid to obsessing with other things. I know we had the Bernie memes, right? And that was kind of fun for a day or two. But now there's a new obsession out there on the media and it's not new. There's there's nothing new under the sun. Daniel Drew he, did, he just had a dislike for Cornelius Vanderbilt to the level that his dislike ended up costing him in today's dollars $20 million because he got caught in a short squeeze and lost $20 million, which was 500000 in the 1860s. And so the GameStop activity of the last week is nothing new. I do this every time. What do I got to do, John? Is it better there? Okay. Uh, so the GameStop activities that's been kind of in the, the news, is it, it happened in the 1800s. It's not brand new. The, the, all the stuff about it, I haven't read any of the news. I just kind of conceptually know what it is. And it's nothing new. Same old stuff goes around, and it's not new. I was preparing, and I thought I would present a new idea to you today. But I don't think it's new. So it's new to me to present. And it may be new to you. And if it's offensive to you, I'm sorry in advance. And I don't know for sure that it's true what I'm telling you. I'm pretty sure it's true. How's that for a disclaimer? Because I don't really want to argue because most everybody in here is more intelligent than me to begin with. So that I'm going to lose. So um, I had... Uh, Romans 2 has been on my mind since Rusty asked me to to kind of discuss this a few weeks ago. And um, it starts with the word, therefore. I think four chapters in Romans start with the word, therefore. And I was always taught when you see the word, therefore, you have to read backwards to see what it was there for. Right. Like if you're you're going to give a point and then you say, therefore, this well, to start with Romans two where it says, therefore, you kind of got to go backwards and read some of Romans one to um, uh, get a get a feel for what Romans two is about. Just kind of idea. But so as I was trying to figure out how to present these ideas to you, I didn't really have a clue until I just went about life this week and life, gave me two examples of how to present this to you. So I was driving with Connie from southern Indiana up back towards Indianapolis, and we were just north of Washington. And I've done this ride on I-69 many times, and it was the first time I ever, I just glanced off to the right, and I saw an Amish horse and buggy going down the road. And I thought, that's really... That's pretty cool looking, really, like if there's some snow out there and a horse and buggy going down the road. And and then it kind of clicked with today that um, if I were going to give you a perspective of morality from when I was in my 20s. And this is very moral over here. I would have perceived a Amish person right here way over to the right. And I would have perceived young Keith Tyner. (laughs) None of you were here, but I would have perceived Keith over here, right? That I would have been a far distance in my morals from where the Amish people driving down the road over here would probably where I would perceive they would be. And now I'm a few years older, and I look at the culture that has evolved around me over those years, and the Amish people would be right here Today, and I would feel like I'm right here compared to where my culture is. Does that make any sense to any of you? And, and so all those people over there, based on my morals, guess what I would like to do about all the things that they're up to. So I think I thought I heard the word. Was it a J word? Judge them? <laughs> but then, Connie was telling me about what she was reading recently, she reads these little romance books, things, whatever, but, but, and they're not the, um, they're not the rough ones, just to, just to protect my wife, yeah. I give her the rough ones for Christmas every year, so she has to take them back. It's just me. I can't help myself. So, this is a true story. So, uh, so, What she explained to me from her readings is there are Amish people that are right here. And then there's Amish people relative to their belief system that are way over here. Did anybody else know this? And these people judge those people. And these people over here judge those people. And all the way, I'm way over there from any of that judgment. Judgment. See how that works? Like the judgment can come into your specific judgment group based on your specific morality. And there is where the conflict begins. You could say, I'm a Republican, which today puts you right here. Well, I don't want to change. I'm going to say, I'm a Republican, which is right over here. And I'm a Democrat, which is over here. And we're going to hate each other. We're going to judge each other. and We're going to argue. You could say... I'm a mask wearer, right, and I'm not a mask wearer over here, and we can judge each other, right? And then I could say, I'm a two mask wearer, right, and I'm only a one mask wearer, and we're going to argue and judge each other. And that's what's going on in our culture today, don't you think? You pick the topic. The problem is nobody has the same morals. And groups of people are trying to group their morals together, and they're not the same at all, but we're pooling together so we can argue with somebody over something that we have really no control over. So that was the first picture I had. Um, It uh, just really painted a picture of morality to me. Then the second picture I had happened yesterday and the doorbell rang and the voice came and immediately I had to go to the drawer and get a leash because I knew what was gonna happen. My dog was gonna urinate all over the floor. Immediately I knew this, I grabbed the leash, the dog heard the voice, came shooting down the stairs and I'm trying to get the leash on before I have a problem. You see, it was my dog's best friend that came in the door, and my dog recognized her best friend's voice and came from upstairs shooting down the stairs, trying to get the leash on, trying to keep the urination off the floor. This is true. I'm not making this stuff up. This is a true story. We, I got the leash on and told him to take her out into the front yard before we have a problem. So... I am watching this whole episode just laughing because my dog doesn't treat me with that kind of respect and honor, right? It does. My dog's like, give me something to eat. <laughs> Take me out. That's how we operate. But this person is my dog's best friend. And so I look out the window and my dog's best friend is taking the leash off of my dog. My dog's best friend is freeing my dog to be out in culture that has a leash law. And you know why? My dog was never gonna leave her best friend. There was no chance that my dog was gonna go anywhere but stay right there with my dog's best friend. True story. I can't make this up. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about, those two stories. The Amish and my dog's best friend so you see, there's a problem that happened a long time ago. Um, there were two trees that were planted in the garden of Eden, and the best I can say, and i don't I don't know I, in my notes, I put, I know less today than I knew when I was in my twenties. I don't know if you, any of you have ever experienced that I knew everything when I was in my 20s but today I just don't know I I don't but I think this is true I think that love is a choice and if love is a choice you have to have a choice you have to choose by your will whether you're going to love somebody or not love is not a feeling it's a choice and so that love is a choice there had to be two trees in the Garden of Eden. There, there had to be the tree of life, and there had to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those are the two choices. And really, that's the only choices we have today. The, the tree of life is Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Right? that the tree of life is how God designed the Garden of Eden. Trust me. Enjoy me. No leash necessary. Don't urinate on me. Just have fun. I'm God. Right? And Satan had got cast down to earth before humanity came, and with it he brought evil. And God had the knowledge of good and evil because he had seen it through Satan. Satan. And so this tree of the knowledge of good and evil was nothing that was necessary for man other than man, in order to love God, had to choose which tree he was going to cling to. And when he chose the wrong tree, the Bible says, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And the day that Adam ate of that tree, guess what happened to him? His brain... Received a thing called a conscience. You ever thought about that? He didn't need a conscience before the day that he ate from the wrong tree, because he was just he didn't need a leash. Like my dog didn't need a leash. He's just gonna hang out with God. But for some reason, he ate of the wrong tree, and now he has this conscience. And I think it's Pinocchio, is it Pinocchio and Jiminy Cricket? Is that where that is? Jiminy Cricket said, let your conscience be your guide. What I'd like to tell you today is that is bad, foolish advice, because that's morality. And morality is not the object of Christianity and following Jesus. Um, When I I was doing some research on morality, and morality is right and wrong, right? Um, Webster said, "Morals means conforming to a standard of right behavior," uh, and then it also goes on to say that that standard of right behavior, behavior, guess what? It's sanctioned by. It's sanctioned by your conscience. Isn't that interesting? That your conscience affects your morals. And um, I would tell you today that your morality is not going to save you spiritually. It's not going to keep you spiritually. Or it's not going to curse you spiritually. Those are the things I know about morality. They're not the problem. The problem is which tree are you attached to? Once you attach yourself to the tree of life, it says that the Spirit of God united His Spirit with your spirit. And that's where you hang out. This is where you are, that's your identity, is the tree of life. You get duped into, we all get duped into trying to live over there on that tree, but this is our true identity over here, and it's not morality. Uh, and I, I wrote down immorality is the, is the confliction, the conflicting attitude towards your conscience, okay? Your, your immorality is conflicts with whatever your conscience is. So if my conscience over here says I should have a red buggy and they have black buggies over there, that conflicts with my morality and I'm judging them over their black buggies. If I go and I'm living by my morals and I go get me a black one because I think it's cool and I believe black buggies are immoral, I'm going to be riding my black buggy feeling bad because I'm living by my conscience. And and the Bible just talks very clearly about the frustration of that. Um, and then I would tell you this, that your conscience is unique to you and your conscience can become your opinions. And And... The challenge with that is it's hard to say that I'm wrong. If I get something implanted on my conscience and it's wrong, in order for me to know the truth and the truth to set me free from that, I have to say I was wrong to myself, look myself in the mirror and say, I was wrong about that idea. And and I've had to shift those things over time. And, and the Bible talks about the futility of that, but um, Webster defined the conscience. He said, it's a, it's a sense of moral goodness of one's own character along with the feeling of obligation to do right or be good. Does that sound familiar to this tree of knowledge of good and evil over here? And, and, and so, um, that is kind of the, I've got a few more notes here. So I, I told you that I thought that the conscience was the result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where the conscience came for came from. And before that there was no need for one. Uh, and I think that the conscience, when it was first implanted on each of us, it was somehow a shadow of God. It wasn't God. It was a shadow of what things would look like if people operated trusting him. And, and it was maybe put there with a pencil. And it can be erased with time. Romans 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you conform to the pattern of this world, guess what happens to your conscience? It starts getting erased and rewritten with the pattern of this world. And as it gets rewritten with the pattern of this world, you start shifting in that spectrum of what's right and wrong uh, from where it originally was when you were born. And part of this has been banging around my head since we first became parents because those of you that are parents and Uh, You saw your lovely, perfect little child there, and then they got to the point where they started talking. Um, Did you ever have to teach them to lie? Did you ever have to teach your kids to lie? Nobody did? Okay, so what, what struck me with not having to teach them to lie was also not having to teach them from hiding that they were lying. There was something inside of them telling them that what they're doing is not true, and that was their conscience. And so my kids had a conscience that helped them in life. And that was there from the get-go with my kids. I would say it's probably true to believe that your conscience sways over time. Like your belief system, your conscience could be swayed by your children, it could be swayed by your parents, it could be swayed by your friends, it could be swayed by a lot of things. But that's not really where you want to spend your life. You want to spend your life on this tree of life, and all of a sudden when you see a buggy on the side of the road, you go, isn't that interesting? What's that buggy about? Well, that's part of your outline this week, Keith. I'm going to show you how, I'm like, oh, okay, that I'm looking for God happenstances in my life rather than looking for right and wrong I want to take you to uh First Corinthians real quick and show you if i put I gave Rusty the verses I did a word study on conscience and I gave him those verses. If you want to look this up yourself and and see how the context of the word conscience is used in the bible it's not a positive thing so if you thought that your conscience was a positive thing um, it it is just a thing it's it's just It doesn't say that's how you should live. And so this is 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And Paul is just laying out some thoughts for people. He says, now concerning the things sacrificed to idols, we know that we we all have knowledge. Um, And I told you earlier that I know less today than I did when I was 20. And knowledge is information, right? Knowledge is what we think is so. Have you ever thought something you thought was so and then realized it wasn't so? Have you ever had that? And that maybe you're willing to argue over that thing you thought was so? And that's what knowledge is. It's the stuff that can distract you from living from the tree of life sometimes. And he says, we all have knowledge. And I was thinking about how to maybe explain that to you. Um, my friend John has knowledge how to fix things. If You know, John, and I don't. Okay, that's, that's a fact. I know that he can fix things, and he knows that I don't know how to fix things. And he could use his knowledge of how to fix things to make me feel stupid because I don't know how to fix things. Right? And that's what, no, that's what knowledge can do if you know things. But that's not what it was about. But he says, now concerning the things sacrificed uh, to knowledge, to idols, we know... We all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. So on that spectrum of morality, I might know, or think I know, that my morals right here are right. These people's morals are wrong, and maybe these people's morals are wrong. right? Because wherever I am, everybody else is wrong. And he's saying knowledge puffs up. It makes you arrogant, but love edifies. Love is part of the tree of life. Knowledge... Is part of the name of this tree, right? tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which would you rather have? The tree of life or the tree of knowledge? And so he's, he's explaining the conscience here. He says, so if anybody supposes they know anything, he has not yet been known as he ought to, <laughs> to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by him. If you're living by this tree over here, you're living life. This is where life is over here, if you love God. And then he says, um, therefore concerning the the eating of things sacrificed to idols. Okay, this part's a little bit of a brain teaser here, but just hopefully I can help you see it. The things sacrificed to idols. We know that there is no such thing as an idol. He's saying the believers know that in the spiritual realm there is no such thing as an idol in the physical realm there were idols everywhere in biblical days and and people were worshiping all these idols but he's saying when we look at life from the tree of life that idol that they're looking at is just some man-made thing it's not it's not of any it's it's nothing it doesn't it doesn't pertain to us because we eat from the tree of life we don't we don't live morally worrying about idols they're not part of the tree of life and so he just says there is no such thing as idols. And so therefore concerning eating things from idols, because the problem was there was this moral spectrum in the day that some people might feel guilty eating the food that was offered to these false idols, right? They would, they would feel guilty, and their conscience would be all, and, and then there are these people who are just all the time on the tree of life, and they're free to do anything, they're like, what else are you guys offering up? <laughs> I'll love me some meat, right? <laughs> and so, so and, then, and then they were all across this. Sp- and then the people that were worshiping idols, there's no way they would eat that meat. And so, so all across that, and, and then people are having the debates. Like, you know, is a mass, no mass, two mass? They're, they're arguing about eating the food of idols. The stuff that's going on in America today, nothing new. It's the same old stuff. So there's idols is what it was here. And he says, there's no such thing as an idol. Uh, and there is no God but one. Well, they would say, "Well, yes, there is. There's more gods because all these people are worshiping these gods." But if there's only one God and they're worshiping that table, are they worshiping God? And the answer is no. They're not worshiping God. They're worshiping of a table that God created. <laughs> and so, so he's saying, so he's saying, if we're if we're cleaning the tree of life, we don't we don't that whole argument isn't part of our argument. We don't need to get caught in that argument. And so. He said, even if there were so-called gods, whether in heaven or earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, because he's saying that's what the culture wants. Their culture will, they'll, they'll worship whatever, you know. Our culture will worship whatever. So it's like, there, it is. I'm not going to argue with that. That's foolishness. And so he says, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things and, and we exist for him, and the one Lord Jesus Christ by whom all things and we exist through him. So he's saying He's saying, they're worshiping the table? God made the table. Why would you worship the table? Worship the God, the tree of life. He said, he, said, he said, however, not all men have this knowledge. Not all men know that they shouldn't be clinging to the tree of knowledge of good and evil because nobody's ever told them, maybe. And so instead of clinging to the tree of life, instead of the dog jumping up and down and just wanting to be with his best friend, they're over there trying to decide what meat they can eat and what meat they can't, and they're missing out on the joy of their best friend. And so, (laughs) he said, we have that knowledge. We have the knowledge that we should just be spending our time on the tree of life and enjoying him and finding out what he's going to tell us to do today, tomorrow, and the next day, and not spending our time worrying about right and wrong. He said, but some of our brothers, he didn't say brothers, I'm just inserting that, um, have been have been a they grew up with this habit pattern of whatever their religion was about idols they they've grown up with that and uh and they eat it as though it was sacrificed to an idol and they grew up knowing we don't eat the food sacrificed to idols we don't do that but over here on the tree of life Jesus Bible says, eat whatever you want. You are free in me. You're free indeed eat anything. But over there, he grew up thinking that was a horrible sin, eating the, the food from an idol. And the Christian that's free is like, sorry about you, man. Just Can, can I have that? You're, because you're eating it and you haven't realized that your conscience is cleansed through, cleansed through Christ and you're living from your conscience. You eating this meat is making you feel guilty all the time. Does that make sense? And and so, he said, but food will not commend us to God. We are neither the worse if we do not eat, nor the better if we do. He's saying the food, because it's part of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, has nothing to do with the tree of life. And so, but he's telling the people that are just hanging from the tree of life, over here he finishes this section, but take care with this liberty of yours uh, so that it doesn't somehow become a, a stumbling block to the weak. And, and he's saying, uh, I might have missed a verse there. Let me see. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can't see the verse I was intending to, but what he is saying is that it scars, it scars their their conscience. The, the weak just doesn't even know what to do. If they're eating from the conscience and they can't figure you out, they don't know God that well, their conscience is scarred. I think the word it used was seared. So it's like putting a steak on a hot grill. Their conscience is affected badly because of my liberty if I don't take caution like he said. And so I just point out those examples. If you look at what the Bible says about the conscience, I'm pretty sure what it says is that's not how we live. If we choose to live, we have a conscience because of the fall of humanity. But if we choose to live by this morality, um, it's going to be very conflicted. We're going to have all kinds of arguments over stuff that we don't need to waste our time on. We need to spend our time on the tree of life because the tree of life is where the power is. As you know, the Spirit of God, you know the Father and the Son more intimately. You begin to see that power dispersed into your circles, and consequently, you begin to see life manifest in the lives of others. I'm down to the final two minutes, and I haven't even got to to uh, Romans two yet. So here we go. <laughs> What I just told you is the end of chapter 1 of Romans. In case you didn't know that. Romans 1, the therefore, is God frees you up, empowers you. If you want to do whatever you want to do, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, He lets you powerfully chase after that until your conscience is flipped upside down. That's what the end of Romans 1 says. Your conscience is flipped completely upside down, and then you heartily agree with, What it originally said, if it originally said this is good, it's flipped upside down. So what was originally good in your conscience now says that that is bad. And so now your conscience is flipped upside down because he let you free because you kept denying the God of the universe. You kept denying the tree of life. You just kept pushing for this tree and trying to do it. And your conscience is flipped upside down. And then it says you cheer on people who have a conscience that's been flipped upside down. That's what the end of Romans 1 says. You heartily agree. You cheer him on. And he goes, he starts off and he goes, therefore, quit judging people with your conscience. That's what the first part of Romans 2 says, is quit judging people. Because uh, using your conscience as, a subtle de- as your way of life is a subtle denial of God. It's a subtle denial of the power of God. It's a subtle denial of his ability to help people that don't know him or don't know the power that's within him. It separates people. God is the great unifier of people. And he said, quit, do that. Um, And uh, the the goal is to walk by faith. So the essence of Romans is you have the power source of the universe enabling you to walk by faith. That's the essence of the book of Romans. Um, In Romans 1, it emphasizes the fact that we are saints. We are not sinners. We are holy. We're righteous. Uh, we have this dynamic power in us and that the righteous live by that tree. It says it in Romans 1, the righteous live by faith. Uh, and then it goes on and it says that the people who deny God, they will be enabled to empower their ability to live by this tree over here, which is a train wreck. And then in Romans two one three through 3, he says, uh, because, you've, because you've rewritten your conscience, quit judging others. And if you haven't quit judging others, it doesn't matter. And he says in Romans 2, 4, do you really want to undermine God's kindness, which is the thing that allows people to change their mind? Because if you're living from that tree, you're undermining God's kindness. And it's his kindness that let you switch from that tree to this tree. And as you understand his kindness, you're going to be kind to people no matter where they are on that moral spectrum, because that's not the deal. The deal is that tree of life. Um. And he he goes on in verses 5 through 11, he says, you have no excuse, you stubborn people that keep eating from this tree over here. (laughs) Your stubbornness is why you stay over there. You don't want to perceive the possibility that there's a kind and loving God over there, so you're going to keep living by your morals. And when you live by your morals, you're never going to find a fulfilling life because you're going to always be worried about doing the right thing rather than trusting God. Uh, 12 through 16, um, he says there's no excuse for you due to your uh, belief or disbelief in the law. The law isn't going to provide you any power. And the law came so you would sin more. You're going to hear this multiple times. The law came so you would sin more. Anybody not offended by that? Surely you are. Surely somebody in here doesn't agree with that. The law came so you would sin more is part of what Romans is going to teach you. And what I would suggest to you is the conscience is a subtle form of the law. And the conscience was given to you so you would sin more and know that I need the help of God, that I might not live by that tree anymore, but I might find a better way to live, which is the tree of life. And that's why you have a conscience is so you would sin more. And uh, Romans 2:17 through 27 says, if you're a Jewish person and you rely on the on the law, you've missed the boat. You're wrong. And Romans 2:28 20, says, a Jewish person. Is not one due to the external externalities such as circumcision. Uh, next week Rusty's gonna give us an example of that. And he says, but it's on it non skin <laughs> Rusty's like, what are you talking? <laughs> uh, uh, but a true Jew is one that's internally one, and that's what Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 says. It's gonna, gonna take out that heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And uh It says this, the true Jew is not looking for praise of man, but the praise of God. There you go, Romans chapter 2. My encouragement to you is walk by faith, stay on this tree, and enjoy God.